Hi again, I'm Jack Lessonberry, and welcome or welcome back to Politics and Prejudices, the podcast. This is meant to be an evolution of the column I wrote and the radio commentaries I did for many years, so hope you enjoy and keep listening and watching. You can also catch up with both my writing and any essays and podcasts you may have missed on my website, LessonberryInc.com. That's ink as an ink pen. Perhaps the best thing about being a journalist is the fascinating people you run into all the way in there and their fascinating stories. And the purpose of these podcasts is to bring some of both to you, along with a little dose of my own perspective. So please settle back and listen. Stay tuned afterwards for my signature essay on this topic, and I hope you enjoy. And again, please follow me on my blog, LessonburyInc.com. Now for today's topic. For nearly 20 years, a battle's raged over building a new bridge across the Detroit River. The Ambassador Bridge is nearly 90 years old, is in questionable shape, wasn't built for today's huge trucks, and is in a location that, given today's traffic patterns, doesn't make much sense. It's also privately owned, and its owner, 92-year-old billionaire Matty Maroon, has spent millions fighting every attempt to build a new bridge, even though Michigan business interests have been nearly unanimous in saying a new one's needed. If something happened to the Ambassador now, the economic consequences would be devastating for both nations, especially Michigan and Ontario. Well, eight years ago, then-Governor Snyder came up with a way to build a new bridge, and after delay after delay, ground's been broken for a new Gordie Howe International Bridge, which is now supposed to be finished in 2024. But is that finally a sure thing? Is there any way, any way something could still stop this bridge from being built? Are there jobs available working for it? And is Maddie Maroon going to build a new bridge as well? We have a panel of two experts joining us. On the phone, we have Mark Butler, the Director of Communications for the Windsor-Detroit Bridge Authority, the group building the Gordie Howe Bridge. Also, Dave Batagello, the reporter for the Windsor Star, has been covering bridge issues for, for years. And also, on the line from Ottawa, Brian Massey, the newly re-elected member of the Canadian Parliament for that part of Windsor, Windsor West, that includes the bridge. And in the studio with me, Greg Ward, the co-owner of the Windsor-Detroit Truck Ferry, and a man who's always supported a new bridge, even though it might put him out of business. Gentlemen, thanks so much for making time to bring us up to date. I want to start with Mark Butler. Mark, where are things with the actual bridge construction? Well, I mean, I, I think, uh, first of all, your, your uh, listeners will not necessarily see all the activity because the, uh, the components of the bridge uh, are sort of hidden from public view at this point in time. But if you uh, could see it, certainly from the river and, and uh, on our website, we do publish videos uh, quite frequently, you'll see that the bridge piers, I mean, this is the important part, uh, the bridge piers on both sides of the border are actually leaving the ground. Uh, on the Canadian side, we have uh, four of those piers in place. And when I talk about piers, these are really the footings for the actual towers uh, on both sides of the border. So that's, uh, that's well underway. Of course, the preparatory activities on both sides of the border and the Canadian and the, and the uh, U.S. ports of entry have been on way, uh, undergone uh, a, a fairly large transformation over the last number of months. Uh, we've, uh, we're continuing with that. And certainly the last component of the project, which is the Michigan Interchange, there's considerable work that's being done. And this weekend, uh, starting Friday night and continuing till Sunday, we're going to be dropping, demolishing three road bridges, which go over I-75. This is, That's the first weekend of November, right? That's the first weekend of November. That's right. So that's starting this Friday and, uh, and uh, continuing until Sunday night. We're going to be dropping three of those bridges. Uh, Springwells is, is one of the locations where uh, this is where the new exit and entry ramps leading from I-75 into the U.S. Port of Entry uh, have to be. So we're taking down uh, a total of... Uh, of uh, five uh, road bridges, 
They're all going to be replaced with new road bridges along with new pedestrian overpasses. And the first major activity for that is starting this weekend. So, uh, you know, when you look at the four components of the project, the two ports of entry, the bridge, and the Michigan interchange, I can tell you that work's being done uh, on all four of those components at the same time. Uh, and we're on track to have this bridge uh, in service by the end of 2024. Ryan Massey, has all the property been assembled on the Canadian side? Yes, that's been one of the strengths of the um, the, parse, the, par, the program on the Canadian side. Is I was actually on Windsor City Council. We were acquiring a certain area uh, known locally as the Dog Patch, but uh, it's the Brighton Beach area uh, for an industrial park. And so a lot of that was uh, consolidated under the City of Windsor, uh, which then was compensated later on for um, the process then known as the DRIC uh, to uh, create the... Um, the environment that's necessary for for that. So we have a lot of stuff there that's in place. Uh, we also have a connecting highway of uh, the Herb Gray Parkway um, that goes to the 401 that's been redone. And what I'm pushing for is a transfer of port property uh, next to it so we can create a national urban park uh, when entering into the, uh, the new crossing on the Canadian side. So there's lots of activity on the Canadian side that's very positive. Uh, there are some challenges with regards to the operations there, obviously, because it's lower in geography than other sections. And as well, uh, there's soil and other types of considerations that had to be raised um, from the current standpoint to a, a higher elevation. So that takes years of, of work. So uh, it's moving along. Uh, I think the original uh, deadline was uh, 2008 uh, when this was actually proposed. Right. And so we're uh, into a longer time, but it's getting done, and we're pleased on the Canadian side. Uh, Mark Butler, what uh, of the Windsor-Detroit Bridge Authority, what is the situation on the U.S. side? Well, the U.S. side, we, um, as Brian had mentioned, on the Canadian side, we were very fortunate that the the majority of the property that we, the land that we needed to build the port of entry was owned by the city of Windsor. Uh, there were, I think, five private uh, landowners that we had to uh, acquire the property from. On the U.S. side, it was different. We had over 600 parcels of property that we had to acquire, uh, many of them from different people. So it has taken us a, uh, a, a different uh, length of time to get those properties accumulated. We are in a position now that we have all the properties with the exception of a handful. But the properties that we do have allow us to actually proceed with construction. So the ones that are still missing and, and they will be uh, obtained, we can still work construction around them. Uh, on the U.S. side, of course, we also have uh, not the same geography as we do in the Canadian side. Uh, uh, so as Brian had just mentioned, we had to do a fair amount of excavation and uh, land preparatory work. We still have to do some on the U.S. side. Uh, we're going to be starting the installation of what's known as wick drains very shortly, which is a drainage method to make sure that the land becomes consolidated and strong. Uh, and also because on the U.S. side there were a lot of uh, smaller businesses and houses, we had to do a lot of remediation uh, for contamination on properties before we could proceed. All that work, I'm, I'm happy to, to say, is, is, is on schedule uh, and we're moving ahead. And consequently, we're able also to concentrate on uh, the actual peer uh, construction on the U.S. side. Dave Batagel, you've been covering this uh, story longer and in more in-depth than any other journalist. Is there anything you'd like to ask uh, uh, Mark about this? 
Well, I, I was just curious. Uh, I'm, I'm more curious these days about what's going on with the Ambassador Bridge because there, they've got uh, quite a bit of construction that's been going on for the last five or six months. Uh, it's closed some city streets underneath. Uh, they're doing, it seems like uh, they've been approved to do some widening of the the 90-year-old bridge. Now, they had some tentative approval from the Canadian government to go ahead with the new crossing. So I'm curious why they're spending so much time and effort to fix up the old crossing. And uh, the conditions they have to meet for this new crossing are not being met. And they don't seem to be moving very quickly on it. So I'm real curious what's happening there. Well, not not within my uh, my ballywick, I guess. Uh, you know, the Ambassador Bridge um, uh, plans to uh, to build a, uh, an additional uh, crossing is, is completely separate and distinct from the Gordie Howe International Bridge. Uh, having said that, uh, when we did do the traffic studies, when we looked at uh, a very significant environmental environmental studies over a number of years before we actually started construction. We had always considered that the existing crossings uh, would remain in place um, as part of the uh, the gateway that's known as Windsor Detroit. And right. you know, again, to remind everybody, the commercial traffic that crosses at Windsor Detroit represents about 25% of the total bilateral bilateral trade between Canada and the United States. So it's an extremely important trade corridor. Uh, the Gordie Howe International Bridge will will help. To ensure that uh, that that will remain so, and for the many years to come, um, and the Ambassador Bridge is part of that equation. Greg Ward, I want to bring you in here. Uh, Greg Ward, you haven't had a chance to talk to the owner of the Windsor Detroit Truck Ferry. You're very familiar with these issues. I'm just wondering, and I, other people can respond to this too. Would a new Ambassador Bridge span make economic sense once the Gordie Howe Bridge is up and rolling? It seems to me that with there's so many, it takes so long to get with all the different traffic signals you have to go through neighborhoods that it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for trucks other than maroon's own trucks to use the to use an ambassador bridge even a new one when they'd have the gordy howe i think that's right i think the direct connection is what's so important about the gordy howe the direct connection to the highway um i was looking through some old articles and the bridge said the ambassador bridge said they'll spend about a billion dollars on a new span and they've also said in court that they'd lose 75% of toll revenue to the Gordie Howe Bridge. So it's hard to imagine spending 75,000, or I mean, a billion dollars for 75% less toll revenue than they get today. And um, I'm not sure what the economic case is. I guess some of it could be that, <clears throat> depending on what the government of Canada and the U.S. government is going to do with the customs facilities. Right. So the Gordie Howe will have the latest and greatest customs facility in the world, probably the most highest technology um, system available. If that, they, if the Gordie Howe, I mean, if the Ambassador Bridge is still operating on the old system, right. I think that probably a lot of trucking companies that don't want the attention spent on them will use the Ambassador Bridge, and those who are more legitimate will use the Gordie Howe Bridge. Brian Massey, member of the Canadian Parliament, you've been very concerned that uh, uh, the Ambassador Bridge Company, Matty Maroon and his family, provide community benefits uh, for folks on both sides of the border. Yes, uh, the things, first thing that needs to be acknowledged is that the Ambassador Bridge gets a virtual doubling of their actual capacity through the uh, enhancement of lane, um, uh, lanes on a new crossing and as well a plaza. And this was done through what's called an order in council, which is a special privileged piece of legislation that the prime minister and cabinet uh, approved separate and independent of parliament and the Senate. 
It didn't go through any uh, hearing process uh, that would normal legislation uh, have the rights and have the expectation to go through. That means committees, it means oversight, it means consulting with not only just the community, but also businesses and other operators. It avoided all those um, elements that are really the important parts of a democracy. Um, so I've been asking for an amendment to the order in council, which is often done the case because order in councils are often made with big mistakes uh, because, again, they're, they're set by the prime minister and a few people at the table independent of any advice um, from the outside. And community benefits were not improved, uh, added to that. So the Gordie Howe um, has community benefits. It's a small percentage of the overall uh, economic uh, expenditure, but it's something that the community um, has as part of the uh, burden of having the border. And um, there is no uh, expectations the Ambassador Bridge. It has to actually do some work um, because they're going to affect, like, say, for example, the fire and safety of the area, so a new fire station has to be built. But that's to replace the problems of an increased capacity a new uh, facility would create. So we've asked for community benefits because Sandwich Town has some of the highest poverty rates in Canada uh, and has also had challenges with new immigrants and also is next to uh, the University of Windsor. And lastly, is one of the most historic places in North America. Right. And it's literally under siege from these border works. Hmm. Are you getting pushback from, uh, I doubt that the Ambassador Bridge Company is enthusiastic about the idea. No, we haven't heard anything, uh, but really it's up to the Prime Minister. It's a, a simple amendment to the ordering council that can be made, and they wouldn't have a choice in the matter. It's as simple as that. Um, it's not complicated, uh, and it's only what we've asked for is comparable reciprocity uh, with the Gordie Howe Bridge, and so that's what we've asked for as a, a reasonable approach to dealing with the problems because it's affecting so many people. Mark Butler, I know you, don't get, you can't get into a political debate about any of this, but I'm, I'm curious about... Why is it going to take so long for the Gordie Howe Bridge to be built? Why is it we have a five-year timetable? Um, is that others? Uh, and do we have any idea of when in 2024 it's likely to be open? Well, I mean, I, I think um, again, when you look at the project overall, we have really four components. Uh, we have two ports of entry, uh, we have the Michigan Interchange, uh, and we also have the bridge itself. Each one of those projects in, in itself is pretty significant. I mean, together they represent probably one of the largest infrastructural projects anywhere in North America today. So we are also looking at issues where we have to build uh, a bridge, which will be essentially the longest cable state bridge in North America. All that takes time. Um, we believe that the, uh, the schedule that we've been put forth, which is a 74-month construction schedule, uh, is prudent. Uh, and it also allows time not just for the bridge to be completed, but it also allows time for fit-up. So for the uh, uh, the new staff working on both sides of the border at, uh, at Border Protection uh, to actually get in to get their uh, uh, to get their orientation, to get their systems up and running, um, we've uh, made a commitment that the uh, bridge will be in service to traffic by the end of 2024, and we're working towards that. Mark, before I let you go. Um what about, we were told that this would, the bridge would maybe supply 10,000 jobs, certainly thousands of jobs, at least temporarily. If somebody's interested in, in a job on either side of the border, how can they find out about availability? Well, we, um, I can tell you that, you know, beyond Windsor Detroit Bridge Authority, which is a Canadian Crown Corporation, and uh, we have approximately 70, uh, 70 people working for us uh, at the Crown Corporation. Our private sector partner, Bridging North America, has hired uh, uh, several hundred people already. 
We expect during the peak construction uh, of the bridge there will be uh, uh, 2,500 jobs. Um, we have, I'm, and I just took a look at it this morning, there's about 30 jobs relevant to the bridge right now, uh, which are being advertised, and these are trades positions, uh, consultant positions, uh, administrative. So I recommend that people uh, go to our website, which is uh, Bridge.com. I know that's a mouthful. Go to the Opportunities tab, and uh, you'll see opportunities both with Windsor Detroit Bridge Authority and opportunities with Bridging North America. Uh, and they change every day. Uh, there's always uh, many there, and we uh, we are looking for talented people to work on this, uh, this historic project. The other thing I will mention is that we will be having a vendor summit uh, November the 13th in Windsor and November the 20th in Detroit. Uh, the Windsor location will be the Windsor Casino, and in Detroit will be the old Cobo Center, where we're uh, asking for people who are interested to do business with us, vendors, suppliers, uh, trades, to come in uh, and meet with the, uh, the Gordie Hampshire National Bridge team and find out how they can actually do work and, and provide supplies for this project. If you need a couple aging journalists, it's possible Dave and I will be down there too. But, but, uh, <laughs> gentlemen, does anyone else have any questions for Mark Butler before we let him go? Well, Mark, you've been very kind to make time for us today, and we'll probably come back to you for another update in a few months. Thank you. Thank you very much, and Brian, uh, uh, congratulations on your reelection. Oh, thanks, Mark, and thanks for your good work there. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. Goodbye, gentlemen. Brian, speaking of your reelection, congratulations from all of us too. Um, while the Trudeau government is has been returned, it now is in partnership, or I presume it's going to have to be in partnership with uh, your party, the New Democratic Party, the NDP. And I'm wondering, do you see any possibility of any change in the government's attitude toward the need for a new bridge or bridges? Well, I, I hope so. Um, I've always tried to make Parliament work, and uh, they're going to go case by case in the uh, Parliament in terms of support for their minority status. Uh, for those that aren't aware, is that they need to have um, some votes on confidence uh, because there's just not a majority, so they need right. other parties to join them at different points. Um, but I'm hopeful that we'll see some uh, coordination and see some cooperation. Often minority parliaments have um, done some good things, and... Um, I'm hopeful that we can actually get, say, for example, community benefits for, and also more public accountability uh, of the Ambassador Bridge. Uh, Dave has mentioned um, that uh, you know they're unsure, or he's unsure of the status of, and I think he's joined by the whole community of what's going on with the Ambassador Bridge, and I think that's unfair for the community. And second of all, I think it's unfair for operators like Greg Ward, um, who have a business case and a business plan and a business investment. Uh, and are doing all the things through accountability, transparency, uh, probably more so than any other operator that we've ever had historically. And um, they should at least have the expectations of having provided information for what the projects on the border and what the future um, uh, elements are going to be for their appropriate planning. Because it's serious business running the border. We take it for granted. But the reality is that the Bassett Bridge decides not to build or to build. It affects other operators. And that's a reasonable approach. The Ambassador Bridge has never been subject to the sort of inspections that you would assume an international border crossing has uh, uh, would be required to. Uh, Maroon at various times, we once claimed it was a federal instrumentality, and he's claimed immunity from that. Is there any more pressure, and anybody can jump in here, to sort of 
make Maroon accountable? I mean, this was a, this bridge is almost 100 years old, and we know that pieces of concrete fall off it. Are, are we getting anywhere where we can force it to be inspected? Uh, they're doing a better job. They're doing a better job now. Transport Canada must be keeping a closer eye on them because the work uh, that they're doing, they are doing some repairs on uh, the lanes up there on the guardrails. Uh, all of that has been rotting away for a decade or so, and they're finally getting around to it now. Uh, so I think somebody's put, uh, you know, tightening things up and, and keeping a better eye on them. Uh, the problem is they, they play both sides of the fence, and uh, when it comes to legislation or regulations, uh, what's good for them is always the way they want to do things. So that's a very unfortunate. Uh, it's been that way for forever and since the Maroons have owned the crossing, and that's the difficulty when you have a, a private sector owning a border crossing like that. Brian Massey, do you, yeah, there, there was, go ahead, please. Yeah, there, yeah, there was a, an act called the International Bridge and Tunnel Act passed um, that actually brings in more regulatory oversight, and Dave's um, uh, kind of description of the transportation of things is, is accurate. In the past, it was just considered private property, um, and it was exempt. Um, but the International Bridge and Channel Act uh, changed that. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, uh, there's not nearly the oversight from Transport Canada that needs to be done, um, not only on the, the project site, but also the, um, uh, the, the ongoing maintenance schedule and public accountability. But it is in uh, the International Bridge and Channel Act, uh, but... Uh, it has been a law that hasn't been exercised to the full extent, in my opinion. Uh, Greg Ward, uh, you're, maybe we might be seeing that. Greg Ward, you're the. Uh, I don't. I want you to jump in here. You're the only U.S. citizen on the group, other than me, and I don't count. And I'm wondering, you you're, you're in touch with the Duggan administration. What do you think about uh, U.S. or Detroit efforts to make Maroon accountable? So that's what I'm thinking of. The International Bridges and Tunnel Act ends at the middle of the river, right. and it doesn't apply to the U.S. side. <clears throat> and that's the problem is when Brian's talking about the um, opportunity for community benefits, again, that's going to be on the Canadian side. We don't have the same energy on the U.S. side making those demands, which is unfortunate. When you look right. at the Gordie Howe, which used to be called the D Detroit River International Crossing, there has been at least 100 meetings um, on the project regular updates to the community, opportunities for input, opportunities to object right. to us, to, to agree with them. But there's been none of that on the Ambassador Bridge a project, on their twinning. There hasn't been, you know, they had the um, meeting for their navigable waters permit and um, a few other things, but there's not the same intensity and opportunity for public input. And we really need, and I hope, you know, Brian can reach out to the U.S. side, um, his colleagues on the U.S. side, and try to jointly approach this to have more um, oversight on the project, on the proposed project. You know, quite candidly, and anybody can jump in here, I'll start with Brian Massey. Do we really think that Maroon will ever build another span? First of all, a billion, it would cost more than a billion dollars by far, I would think. And, um, or is this just some kind of a feint? Does anybody have an opinion on that? Well, um, just so you're aware, the current order in council um, only gives him a five-year window to start the project. And then there's a time frame he has to tear down the old span. Right. So there's complications with him proceeding and such. And I'll leave it for others, but my personal opinion is that um, they don't have a lot of experience building things. Um, they've had complications with their current sites uh, when they have done improved works. I think the number one thing the bridge could do right now is actually 
facilitate quicker toll paying once you actually get through the custom lines and are stacked up waiting to pay your money on the other side. But that's just my personal opinion. You know, we should say that one thing we cannot blame Maddie Maroon for is the fact that the bridge is a private thing. The, the people didn't want to spend the money for a public bridge back in the 1920s and a family not related to the Maroons built this bridge starting about 1929. 1927, I can't remember the exact date, I think it was finished in 1930, and then Maroon eventually bought it in, I think, 1979. So he inherited it. I don't think anyone would have a, would allow a private citizen to build a border crossing today. Except we're looking at it with the, the twinning of the Ambassador Bridge. Exactly. And I think that is something that should be studied, should be discussed, should be debated, if there should be private ownership of border crossings, and I say that as a border operator. I understand the idea of private operation of right. a border, but it seems like a border crossing is something that should be under the national control. And because they have the security priorities, they have the trade interests, they have the border um, responsibilities. So at this time, the Ambassador Bridge receives a huge subsidy, and so does the truck ferry in the sense that we receive custom service on right. both sides, which costs great deals of money. Right. And this private operator pockets all the tolls. He doesn't pay back. Where the Gordie Howe, it will also have customs available to it, but those tolls go back to the state of Michigan and the government of Canada. So I think there does need to be some discussion as if it makes sense for critical infrastructure, critical to our economy, well, critical to our security, should be privately right, owned. Absolutely. You know, Brian Massey, something this way is, is a little delicate. This is something that I've thought about a lot, that uh, the fact that Canada is putting the bill for everything, including construction work on the Michigan side of the bridge, because the Michigan legislature wouldn't do it, in part because they get campaign money from Matty Maroon. The idea is that uh, Canada will be eventually paid back for Michigan's share out of toll revenue. Um, is that actually going to happen, Brian Massey? And does anyone have any idea how long that would take? Yeah, well, there's been some, um, you know, I think it really uh, speaks to the importance of the crossing to get done for our continued trade and prosperity, lifting it outside of some of the influential politics that have taken place and uh, the connections politically that have taken place on both sides of the border um, with regards to uh, border operators. But uh, you know, it's going to eventually pay itself off. That's going to be the case. And so that's kind of the argument for a public crossing anyways, is that, uh, you know, it, to me, it doesn't matter whether it pays itself off after 50 years, 100 years, or 200 years. Um, the point being is that it's supposed to facilitate economic development, trade, and social conduits right. that are important for Windsor-Detroit region. And that's some, something that we, we is invaluable. And so uh, to me, it's less about that process getting completed but there's 24 international bridges and tunnels between Canada and the United States, and 22 of them are publicly owned and operated. There's just a, a, a couple that are private. And I think that um, there's no doubt that this is part of our skeleton of a nation, um, and it really would be more appropriate to be handed as a facilitation. The bridge as a middleman or as a profit zone, as a border crossing, that, I would argue, is an inefficiency in our economy. Uh, it would be much more um, profitable for everybody to us for facilitate trade at the lowest amount uh, possible to compete with the West and the East um, when we're dealing with the center of our economies right here. And adding a layer of profit versus a gatekeeper doesn't make a lot of sense, especially when we're competing for auto jobs and other new tech jobs. I agree. Dave Battagello, do you see anything that we haven't discussed here uh, with respect to either the Maroon Bridge or the Gordie Howe or government's role in this? 
Well, I think the Gordie Howe has done all the right things, and it's taken a long time. But it's taken a long time for a reason. They they uh, really were careful on how they did did things uh, in terms of regulations, in terms of legislation, so that nothing could be challenged. Because uh, the Maroons would have been quick to to go to court and actually win. Uh, now they've still gone to court, but they've actually lost on a number of their challenges because things were done the right way. So the Gordie Howe seems to be off to a great start. Uh, there's still a long way to go uh, relatively to a lot of people when they'd like to see this done, uh, but it seems very secure. Uh, the Ambassador Bridge uh, seems to be the story is coming back to them now on what's going to happen, whether they ever will build a second crossing or not, uh, what the plans are for this current crossing, even though it's 90 years old. Uh, so the focus is slowly coming back to them and what's going to happen. And it's important because this crossing is right in the middle of two cities that are uh, trying to rebuild uh, communities, trying to rebuild neighborhoods, and trying to right. get a good future uh, put in place. So they, everybody needs to know what's going to happen there. Greg Ward, you're very much in touch with the community. Are the, uh, the community uh, around the Delray community happy with the community benefits deal that, uh, on the Gordy Howe Bridge? It's been tremendous, the deal that's been given by Canada, not just the $10 million here at the end that was announced as a community benefits, but what was made available to Detroit to buy out people outside of the footprint. So the footprint, everybody who got right. bought out came through the condemnation process or negotiated right. first and then the condemnation. But the opportunity was given, is given to everyone outside that footprint. Um, the city is, instead of just offering people the money to relocate, have made a different system where they want to use land bank housing um, to relocate so they stay in the city of Detroit. But however that is, it's a great opportunity for these people. Not everybody will choose to leave. Right. Some people will choose to stay and they can do that. And and it's it's really been tremendous, the air filtration that they're providing, new windows, new um, um, uh opportunities to make the homes in the footprint area or near I-75 more secure, more air, um, clean, more cleaner air, et cetera. Um, and I think it's been very positive. And we really need that type of that type of attention to the community in all projects, all transportation projects that happen in the state, not just the Gordie Howe. I think this has been a great precedent. And I agree with Dave um, that the Canadians have done a great job this, I don't think this could have ever happened if it was just Michigan paying their no. half. They're, this would never have happened. I and mean, I'm very grateful to the Canadians, not only for their financing of the project, but for doing it right. Yeah, I think we should all be very quickly. We really didn't talk about what you do. You operate this a ferry that takes trucks with hazard, hazardous materials primarily or with things like windmill parts too large to go over the Ambassador Bridge, and you do that. But why might you be put out of business when the Gordie Howe's done? So there's a good chance that the Gordie Howe will be, it's built for a 115-year useful life. It will be anticipating all types of trucks that are going to be happening in the next century, all types of transportation. Um, and so it's most likely going to be able to take the hazardous materials and the oversized trucks. So once it opens its door, we'll most likely be out of business. Brian Massey, you're in Ottawa. I know you've got to get about the business of organizing a new government, but are there any other issues or facets of this issue involving both bridges that you think the public ought to keep in mind? Well, I think that we need a overall border authority. Uh, Greg's situation is one that is commendable. He um, has been not only a good community partner, but he's operated the ferry 
I think for 15 years now, I could be Long wrong, Greg, that, on those numbers. 30, almost, 30, almost 30 years. Oh, my gosh. I'm getting old, Jeez, Brian. But it, <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. It shows you how even – but it's a good example of how I don't even have the most up-to-date as, as, as the extensiveness of how complicated our operations are. And then also the planning process. So we have an operator who has a tremendously successful – record of dealing with some of the most complicated materials for uh, manufacturing and also the consequences if there's something goes wrong over our waterway and they should have a voice and also a planning process to deal with um, how we actually get those goods and services across the border especially if there's delays or there's going to be other problems or backup contingency plans and so forth and so I honestly believe that we need what other areas have as an overall border authority, not a cabal of different uh, groups and organizations that have um, different models. And there needs to be some type of overall planning. So if, say, for example, the Windsor-Detroit tunnel is going under extensive renovations or needs to close for a weekend or something, that there's ongoing communication that's sophisticated um, and is done through a planning process. And then second of all, similar to what's happening right now is why do we have like a, a ferry operator that deals with very sensitive um, materials uh, under a high degree of regulatory um, a, a environment, uh, not even know the future of what might or may not take place. And that just doesn't make good business sense or community planning or environmental sense. In my opinion, we have really good successful operators and we have different things that are going on. Why not cross coordinate that and make us more efficient, reduce the costs and improve environmental oversight just seems to be the way we should be doing things. Brian, do you plan to push for legislation doing that in Ottawa? Yes, I have um, legislation that was crafted for it. The actually, the International Bridge and Tunnel Act was legislation that um, was stolen from me, which is a good thing from uh, by Lawrence <laughs> Cannon. I'm at that time, that's when you're not in power like myself. Um, you hope they pick up your ideas and run with it, uh, and uh, I'll have that retabled again. Uh, a binational border authority um, for the entire region and. And again, I think that it also creates some unique synergies when we just think about the trucks and the people and so forth. What's really kind of cool is that we're also with the new Gordy Howe Bridge. We're going to have a pedestrian bike lane that's going to be free. Um, and we have an opportunity to further integrate and return uh, some of our operations that we had in the past uh, with regards to people connecting other than cars and vehicles. Um, we do have the transit at the, you know, with the Windsor Detroit Tunnel um, for buses, but this is going to be different. And, you know, when you go back in the ages, uh, we had hundreds of ferries that operated on the border at different points in time. So there's, once again, right. more um, opportunity for us to work together and be successful as a region. That's right. I, sh I think I should mention that the Detroit-Windsor Tunnel is basically a passenger car uh, mechanism. You can't really take heavy manufacturing components, much less hazardous materials, through the tunnel. Um, uh, finally, Dave Batagel, uh Anything else you want to add that we've neglected to cover or that you want to point out? No, I just think everything seems to be finally, <laughs> after, uh, what, almost two decades, everything seems to be on track for the most part and, uh, and going in the right direction. So I'm looking forward to the completion of the Gordie Howe Bridge. I'm looking forward to see how both communities, both Windsor and Detroit, can take advantage once it's in place, uh, both economically and also from a community standpoint. Uh, you have the Fort Wayne uh, uh, you know, situation there that you could really enhance that, and it could be a real tourist attraction. Extreme for redevelopment. 
Yes, Brian's been pushing hard for uh, a national park uh, created around lands where the Gordie Howe is going to be. Uh, and they're all great things, and you can create something truly wonderful for the next generation uh, if everything continues in, in the direction that it seems to be going. When it comes to the Ambassador Bridge, that's a different story, unfortunately. And uh, we need to get that probably going in the same direction. If that happens, Windsor, Detroit could really thrive in, in all kinds of ways, both economically and just for, as a community for the people around here who live here. It's sort of ironic in that Fort Wayne, which is going to be pretty much at the uh, U.S. foot of the new bridge, was built to prevent Canada from invading us. And now we're trying to encourage as much economic invasion as 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 possible. But but uh, Brian Massey, Dave Battagello, Greg Greg Ward, we'll give you the final word if you want one. Um, no, I think it's great that you're giving the attention to this issue because it is a great opportunity for everyone. I, sometimes I think people don't realize the scale of this project and how it will transform lives in right. forever. Gentlemen, I so appreciate you making time uh, for us today. I respect all of you. Please keep on doing what you're doing. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we could and almost certainly go on talking about the bridge issues, but I think we've all learned a lot today. I want to thank our guests as well as everyone who donated to help fund the production costs of this podcast, including Renaissance man Bob Howe and that talented author and editor in Dearborn, Buford Cranford. If you too would like to help keep these podcasts going, I'd be thrilled if you could send me a contribution via Zing Media Group, 186 North Main Street in Plymouth, 48170. Message me on my Facebook or via my blog for more details. Also, please check out that blog, LessonburyInc.com. Please click the button to subscribe. It's absolutely free. The right, it's what it's worth, in other words. Tell your friends and keep in touch. This is Jack Lessonbury with the Politics and Prejudices podcast. See you again soon. Shortly after he retired from office, after a glorious 36 years in the United States Senate, I asked Carl Levin if anything had surprised him after all those years. The incredible power of Maroon, he said. I wasn't surprised. I knew, as he did, that virtually every major business, including Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler, wanted a modern new bridge to connect the nation's two nations' freeways to make it easier for the billions in goods that flow across the Windsor-Detroit border every week, mainly heavy manufacturing and automotive components. For something to happen to the Ambassador Bridge, a bridge long past its expected life, the economic consequences for Michigan and Ontario would be devastating. Yet an aging billionaire had for years been able to block a needed new bridge from being built thanks to his ability to essentially buy off the legislature. Even after Governor Rick Snyder found a way around that, Maroon has still managed to hold up a new bridge for years and further maximize his profits. This is a scandal and a disgrace, but the bigger scandal is that we've allowed him to get away with it. If you talk to anyone elsewhere in this world, even elsewhere in this nation, they think it's crazy that a private citizen is allowed to own an international border crossing, that he doesn't even allow the government to inspect it and make sure it's structurally sound. This is laissez-faire capitalism run amok and a threat to the public interest and safety. It does seem now that a new bridge is happening much later than it should have. Whether the Maroon family will ever build a second one is hard to say, but I very much doubt it. There are too many hoops that have to jump through, including relocating an entire street and a number of buildings in Canada at their own expense. Even if they did all that, it's hard to imagine that any new span they would build could be competitive with the Gordie Howe International Bridge for one big reason. Trucks would still have to run a gauntlet of traffic signals to get to Canada's main highway. The Gordie Howe Bridge is designed to 
roll traffic seamlessly from I-75 to Canada's Highway 401 and vice versa. Plus, not to be morbid, but Matty Maroon is 92 years old, and even if he started a new bridge today, it's doubtful if he'd be around for the opening. What we don't know is what his only child, Matthew Maroon, will do when decisions about the future will be his to make. My guess is that he'll continue operating the old bridge so long as it makes economic sense for him to do so, and then concentrate on the vast trucking operations that are the core of the Maroon Empire. But again, I really don't know. What I do know is regardless of politics, government is supposed to operate in the public interest. By dangerously preventing a new bridge from being built for years, our legislature didn't do so. We also humiliated and disgraced ourselves on the international stage by refusing to pay our fair share of the cost of the new Gordie Howe International Bridge. Canada is, in fact, paying for everything and is supposed to someday be reimbursed out of our share of the tolls both nations plan to collect, something that would take decades. This makes Michigan look like a poverty-stricken third-world country, which, without a new bridge, is exactly what we'd eventually become. This is Jack Lessonbury. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll come back and hear more of my podcast again soon.